show me the way to oh, I'm taking my time on my ride. These aren't my favorite songs. They're not even necessarily the best songs, but rather my life as the playlist. In last week's episode, I challenged you all, especially the men, to listen with an open heart and an open mind about the effects misogyny is having on all of our physical and mental health and how we can all be part of the solution. Two things of note. First, I received some very lovely comments from listeners. Things like, I was exhausted after listening to A Day in the Life of a Working Mother, and I don't have half those responsibilities. I don't know how you all do it. I'm in awe. And, the podcast is great. Really enjoying your thoughtful, well-written commentary. It's very relatable and crafted with sensitivity. And, I listened to this in the prior two entries. I enjoyed them immensely. Really well done. I'm truly honored to receive messages like these. I also must point out that nearly all of the responses to this episode were from women, and of the two men who responded, one DM'd me rather than post publicly, and when I responded with thank you, he proceeded to start hitting on me. And I also lost three male followers. To be expected, I suppose. Second, while I discussed a day in the life and the effects on our mental and physical health in the last episode, I did not fulfill my promise of how we can all be part of the solution. Today's episode is a part two, where I'm going to discuss 10 ways that we can work toward dismantling misogyny. Your girl power playlist from last week will work just as well for this week's show. I'm currently listening to Alicia Keys' song Girl Can't Be Herself from her 2016 album entitled Here, which hit number two on the Billboard chart the week it was released. Okay, got all our playlists ready? Good. Let's dive in. Number one. This first one is for women and femmes. You are not crazy, not overdramatic, and not overreacting. Your feelings are valid, and your rage is normal and expected when you are told that the world is one way, but your real lived experiences are telling you and showing you it's quite another. People who are trying to convince you that you're crazy and overdramatic are engaging in a form of gaslighting by dismissing that what you've experienced has happened at all, or that it has happened the way that you say. Sometimes people do this by saying things like, are you really sure he meant it that way? Or maybe you're remembering it as worse than it actually was. Every time you're blamed for your own abuse, no matter how minor or major, it puts a crack into your self-concept and self-esteem, and you trust yourself a little less. You hear the voices of, maybe they're right. Recognizing the motivations and intent of those who respond to you this way will allow you to trust yourself more, love yourself more, to call this behavior out when you see it, and if it's too dangerous to call it out, to recognize it for what it is. Number two. The second one is for the men. Listen, without judgment, without defensiveness. Let's walk through this together. The wrong way and a better way. Let's say your girlfriend tells you a creeper at the gym was staring at her throughout her workout and she felt uncomfortable. Some wrong responses are, are you sure he was really staring at you? Maybe he was just staring off into space in your general direction. Um, yes. We are sure when men are staring at us for extended periods of time. We've developed this skill over the millennia so we can do things like stay alive. Or another wrong response to, babe, this creeper was staring at me all through my workout, is why didn't you just move to another elliptical? Because now you're both blaming your girlfriend for not taking the appropriate action, and you're also blaming her for the creeper's behavior, 
rather than blaming the man for his actions. Instead, try this. Wow, that really sucks that you can't even go to the gym and work out and release stress. I'm sorry that happened to you. If I see any of my friends doing this, I promise to tell them to stop. Or, if your girlfriend tells you she's being harassed on a gaming app, instead of saying, ugh, ignore them already, block them, respond with, ugh, how annoying that you can't even take 10 minutes to relax and do something fun without being objectified. I know that your intentions aren't bad, guys. You want to offer a solution to the problem and fail to consider how by offering a solution, you're shifting the responsibility to your girlfriend or wife instead of acknowledging the larger societal problem. But sometimes your intentions are more nefarious. You're not wanting to help her solve the problem, but are giving knee-jerk responses that when she's criticizing the behavior of one man, that she's also somehow criticizing you. Maybe you're remembering a time that you behaved like the men she's describing, or your friends behaved that way, and you didn't do anything about it. Resist the urge to rush to defensiveness. If she's telling you about what happened to her, that means she loves you and trusts you, and she wants to share her experience with you. And men, this transitions nicely to number three. You are not evil. You are not entirely at fault. You are also enculturated into a patriarchal and misogynistic system. Nearly every movie, television show, song, all the mass media you consumed has taught you to be aggressive in pursuit. So the idea that you'd show up at a gym over and over again at the time your crush will be there and stare at her until she notices you and that you talk to her while she's got her earbuds in and is clearly disinterested, and then rather than respond to her disinterest by respecting her boundaries, instead take that as a sign that you have to keep trying over and over and over and over again until she breaks down and agrees to go out with you, is wholly unsurprising. This is a very popular trope known as the rejection affection trope. It's seen on popular sitcoms like Friends, Chandler and Monica, and Family Matters, Urkel wearing down Laura, in the comic book Runaways as Victor keeps trying to win back Nico, in popular literature like Pride and Prejudice, where Mr. Collins sees Elizabeth's rejection as a sign to keep trying, and in movies like The Notebook, where Ali only accepts Noah after repeatedly rejecting him. This is one of my least favorite tropes, and it's one of the most pervasive. If you weren't familiar with it or didn't recognize it before, you're now going to notice it everywhere. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Or, how about the fact that you talk over a woman at work, or take credit for her ideas, or ask her to just read your latest brilliant manifesto and give you her feedback, are also ways you've been enculturated to believe that women are there to humanize you, to love you, to make you look better, to serve you. This idea is thousands of years old. See the archaic supernatural concept of the muse. You'll find this concept in movie characters like Zoe Deschanel's character in 500 Days of Summer, Penny Lane from Almost Famous, and Hannah Baker from 13 Reasons Why. However, just because it's not entirely your fault, it is your responsibility to recognize when you're treating a woman as a prize to win, a muse to inspire you, or a manic pixie dream girl, and then fight against these urges understand their harms, and refuse to perpetuate this form of objectification. In women, we encourage this behavior by playing hard to get. When we do, we're feeding this narrative because we're expressing internalized misogyny. We should also be mindful of doing this. And now number four. 
we as women need to educate ourselves on and refute toxic patriarchy. I hear what you're thinking now. Aren't I now engaging in the same type of victim blaming I just criticized men for doing? I need to make a clear distinction here. No, it is not your fault if you are aggressively pursued or harassed or objectified or treated like a muse rather than an intelligent human being with agency. However, as women, and especially if we're cisgender white women, we have to acknowledge how we also internalize and reinforce misogyny and how we weaponize that against ourselves, against other women, and especially against black women and other women of color. White feminists often forget that white feminism is another form of violence. If we're weaponizing our tears in meetings so white men are sympathetic to us at the expense of our black colleagues, we're engaging in patriarchal violence. Or, if we're pitting women against each other. Common example of this is when a woman's partner cheats on her, and instead of blaming her partner, blames the other woman for being a homewrecker. We women have a responsibility to work on ourselves, including going to therapy, if we're privileged enough to have the time and money to do so. We have a responsibility to understand when we're perpetuating misogyny ourselves, and to educate our friends and family members when they're doing so. It's hard work, and as women, we're taught to avoid confrontation, and we're often uncomfortable with confrontation. I also haven't been perfect at calling things out in the moment either, but we have to keep trying. Number five, this one is for the parents and the caregivers. Teach your children or the children under your care about misogyny, patriarchy, and toxic masculinity. You don't have to do this in grand or academic lectures. In fact, I don't recommend you do that at all, but in smaller moments. When you see these tropes on TV, in movies, in YouTube videos, memes, or songs, talk about it. You'll get lots of virals. Your kids might also think you're overreacting or overdramatic. Oh, that's just mom being a feminist again. Do it anyway. They're growing up in a world where women run Fortune 500 companies and run for president. They're also growing up in a world where fewer than 10% of Fortune 500 companies are run by women and zero are run by black women. A world where only 24% of Congress people are women. A world where only 13% of the top grossing films of 2019 were directed by women. A world where a rapist was nominated and then became a Supreme Court justice, while most Americans, even those claiming to be feminists, did nothing to protest it. A world where a woman who was clearly more qualified and more superior lost the presidency in 2016 to a man who bragged about serial sexual assault. A world in which said president announced on Twitter yesterday, well, a few days ago now, that his top picks for Supreme Court justices are Ted Cruz, who just this week announced on social media that, quote, pregnancy is not a life-threatening illness, end quote, despite the United States having the highest maternal death rate in the world's developed nations. And Tom Cotton, who tweeted right after Trump's announcement, his excitement at the opportunity to overturn Roe versus Wade. The United States is not a post-feminist society. If anything, women's rights are more under threat than they were a decade ago. And black women, Indigenous women, Latinx women, trans women have never even had equality with white women, let alone men. And maybe this is a conversation some of you aren't ready to have, but I'd be remiss if I failed to mention that a large percentage of women in leadership roles ascended through the ranks because they won at patriarchy rather than fought to dismantle it. I digressed a little, but parents, caregivers, 
We also have a responsibility to not only call out misogyny and patriarchy in pop culture and in politics, but to be mindful of whether our parenting itself is misogynistic. Are we relying on our girls to do more housework or sibling care or being more strict with them regarding how they dress, curfews, about dating, while we're laughing and joking around with our boys about how they're treating women? Wanna cry. I just wanna cry for the world when a girl can't see herself no more. Boy, ain't your mama. When you gonna get your act together, ain't your mama. Number six. Number six is for everybody, but especially for the men, since in my experience, it applies to them more often. If you're on social media, especially if you're on Twitter, take a quick survey of your feed. Are the thinkers, politicians, and celebrities you follow, and who you retweet, most often male and white? Are you feeling defensive right now and wanting to argue that this is because white and male politicians and celebrities are more likely to show up in your feed, having been retweeted by others, think carefully about this argument. There's a reason their accounts are larger than the accounts of brilliant black feminists. It's sexism and racism, and you're perpetuating it. It's tragic that a grifter like Ryan Knight, who has done absolutely nothing noteworthy and is encouraging people not to vote in November, has over 366,000 followers on Twitter. Roughly the same number of followers as Brittany Packnett Cunningham, who is an incredible social justice advocate who has written books and led task forces for President Obama, who called her a thought leader for our generation. It's even more tragic that grifters like George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, and Sean King, who has repeatedly been accused of stealing the intellectual property of black women, have over one million followers. He's a household name, whereas Arielle Marie one of the black women he stole from, has only 15,000 followers. There's so many incredible black women activists who are educating the public for free on Twitter and whose work you could be reading and amplifying. Imani Gandhi, Brittany Cooper, Leslie Mack, and prison culture are a few who come to mind. I've had people, white men in particular, ask me what they can and should do. I always recommend that you read and follow black women activists, Latinx activists, and indigenous activists and then follow their leads. And if your social justice reading list is heavy on Tim Wise and Robin D'Angelo, and light on Beverly Daniel Tatum and Ijeoma Oluo, you should fix that. And after you follow them on social media, you should purchase their works from Black-owned bookstores. They deserve to be paid. Number seven. Now that you're working on your social media presence, it's time to reframe your thinking. We'll make number seven a short one. Men, be sincere. Women can spot a fake feminist, one who claims to be a feminist because he wants to look woke or get laid, from a mile away. Yes, you can make mistakes, but when you've made an error, apologize. And if you're not sure what you did wrong, see number two. Listen, without judgment, without defensiveness. Reflect for a bit, and then return to the conversation. Number eight. Speaking of reframing your thinking, let's talk about managing a home and a family for a minute or two. Your job is not to help your girlfriend or wife or sister. Clean toilets, laundry, clean dishes, made beds, cooked meals, uncluttered work in living spaces, stocked refrigerators are all things that everybody in a household benefits from and therefore are all important tasks which should be negotiated and agreed upon in an equitable manner. If you're completing any of these tasks, you're not being helpful. You're simply doing what needs done. Likewise, 
childcare. If you have children, especially younger ones, they need to be fed, clothed, and safe 24 hours per day, every single day. This one really bugs me. You're never babysitting your own child, and the other parent or parents of your child should not have to ask permission to go somewhere because there's a baby at home. Assume that you have an equal responsibility to ensure your child is safe, healthy, and cared for. Now, let's up the stakes a bit. If you have children, they also have emotional needs. If your partner is engaging in all the emotional talks, solving all the school dramas, listening to all the relationship traumas, you're negligent in your duties as a parent. You're also reinforcing toxic masculinity and patriarchy by teaching your children that fathers aren't affectionate and aren't emotionally present. Your sons are now more likely to be men who aren't emotionally there for the people in their lives, and your daughters are more likely to seek out emotionally unavailable partners. In all of these instances, whether it be housework, childcare, or relationship building, the common factor is time. Time is the most valuable commodity and one that can never be replaced. You can earn more money if you lose it, but you cannot give your wife or girlfriend or sister the time you stole from her, the time she spent doing the work you should have been doing. You cannot make any reparations for that theft. What you can do is stop stealing from her today. As Jennifer Lopez said in her 2016 Billboard Top 100 hit, which was viewed over 750 million times on YouTube and praised by Hillary Clinton, who said, quote, women are so much more than the roles were assigned. End quote. We ain't your mama. Add that one to your playlist. It's great. Number nine, men. Be a feminist even when there are no other feminists in the room, especially when there are no other feminists in the room. Irritated by number eight, being told that even though you're doing more housework and childcare than ever before, that you're still not carrying your fair share because, well, you're not. And now you need to blow off some steam with the boys and who cares if that involves some locker room talk I mean, the president can grab women by the pussy and get 62 million votes. Certainly, you can hang out with the boys and point out hot girls at the bar you want to bang and bitch about what nags your wives are, right? No. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Don't normalize objectification of women. And don't normalize it because you have a mother or a sister or a daughter and you don't want people to talk about them that way. Do it because women are fully human and worthy of respect. And... Don't just speak up when you're with your guy friends, but also in work meetings. It's not enough to refrain from interrupting your female colleagues or from stealing her ideas. You should also interject when your male colleague interrupts your female one with, Yes, Samantha was just explaining this, and her idea is a really good one. Samantha, can you remind everyone what you said? And number 10. So, this brings us to our final point. Don't be a turf. As a cisgender white middle-class woman, my last two episodes have centered my perspective, which is a privileged one. If your feminism doesn't include trans women, also known as women, it's not feminism. It's just vagina-centric hatred. Trans women face higher levels of discrimination everywhere. In education, textbooks use exclusionary language and classrooms aren't usually safe. In healthcare, most healthcare policies exclude transgender people from accessing care, even the New York State Medicare system does. Adopting and becoming foster parents? They've been banned by the Trump administration from serving in the military? Trans people are three times as likely to be unemployed and more than twice as likely to be living in poverty. And 30% of transgender women and over 50% of transgender people overall have attempted suicide at least once in their lives. 
The very least we can do is respect someone's pronouns, welcome them in our gyms, locker rooms, swimming pools, bathrooms, and everywhere we enjoy space. And if you have a transgender child, for the love of God, love them and allow them to express their gender identity, because decades of research show that to do otherwise is to traumatize them and make it more likely they'll self-harm or attempt suicide. Transgender women deserve the same rights as every woman, and also deserve to be part of every feminist conversation, especially conversations that impact their rights and right to exist. If you're still with me, thank you. Before we conclude, let's recap our top 10. Number 1. Women, you're not crazy or overdramatic, your feelings are valid. Number 2. Men, Listen without judgment and without acting defensively when the women in your life have trusted you to share their experiences with you. Number three. Men, the patriarchy isn't your personal fault, but it is your responsibility to work to dismantle it. Four. Women, educate yourselves about internalized misogyny and white feminism isn't feminism. Five. Parents, caregivers, teach your children so they don't grow up to perpetuate misogyny. Number six. Everyone, but especially men, follow feminists, and especially feminists of color and trans women activists on social media. Then, buy their work, because they deserve to be paid. Number seven, men, be sincere. Don't be a woke feminist to get laid. Eight, men, everyone, but men. Time is the most valuable commodity. Are you being equitable with time in your household? Nine, be a feminist even when there are no other feminists in the room. Don't be a turf. If your feminism is trans-exclusionary, it's not feminism. So, now we've come to the end of the show. Do any of these particularly resonate with you? Or, did I miss something obvious and important? I'm sure I did. Have some awesome feminist songs I should add to my playlist? Tell me at Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And, if you like movies and or Christian Slater, you can also follow my Pump Up the Volume pages and listen to the Pump Up the Volume podcast I co-host on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. From now until the election, check your voter registrations. Until next time. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. <laughs>